John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 16, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Burkett notes, observe here how our blessed Savior under the metaphor of a vine elegantly sets forth himself in his relation to his visible church, showing under that solemnitude what his father meant to do with Judas and with all unfruitful branches like unto him, even take them away, cut them off, and throw them into the fire. But such as are fruitful he purges by his word and spirit, by ordinances and providences, by mercies and afflictions, that they may be more abundantly and abidingly fruitful. Learn hence, one, that Jesus Christ in his office for and relation to his people doth most fitly resemble a vine. As the vine is weak, mean, and small in outward appearance, not like the cedar for height or like the oak for strength, so was Christ in a state of humiliation. There was no beauty in him. Isaiah 53. As the vine is a fruitful plant, though it has little pomp, yet it is much plenty, and it's only useful for fruit-bearing, and brings forth both plenty and variety of sweet fruit to make glad the heart of man. Thus the fruits of Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, and intercession are many and great, delightful and sweet. In a word, as the fruit of the vine is pressed, that it may be drink unto men, so Christ submitted to be trod into the wine press of God's wrath, that thereby the sweet fruit and benefit might redound to his people. Finally, as the vine is the root from which all the branches derive their nourishment and fruitfulness, in like manner as Christ the stock, into which all his members are engrafted, the root into which they are all subsist, and the fountain from whence their spiritual life and fruitfulness doth proceed and flow. Learn, too, that as Christ is the vine, so his Father is the husbandman. He engrafts and implants all the branches into this vine. The plants of righteousness are of his own planting. He takes notice what store of fruit every branch doth bring forth, and it is his daily care to dress and dung, to purge and prune, to support and shelter his vineyard, that it may bring forth fruit abundantly. Learn three, that there are two sorts of branches in this vine, some fruitful, others unfruitful. Some have the visibility, but not the reality of branches. Some are branches only by external profession, others are so by real implantation. Learn four, that the true touchstone whereby to discern one sort of branches from another is not by the fair leaves of profession, but by the substantial proofs of a holy and righteous conversation. Learn five, that in the most fruitful branches, in the best and holiest Christians, there remains much corruption to be purged out in order to future and farther fruitfulness. Learn six, that the husbandman's hand, God the Father's, manages the pruning knife of affliction in order to his people's improvement in grace and holiness. He'd rather see his vine bleed than see it barren. Lastly, that such branches as, after all the husbandman's care and cost, remain unfruitful, shall be finally cut off and cast away, as Judas was here, who, in this discourse of our Savior, seems particularly and especially to be aimed at. He was a branch in him that bare no fruit, who was shortly after taken away and went to his own place. 
verses 3 through 5. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Burkett notes, Our Savior, having in the former verses distinguished his disciples into two sorts, some that were members of his body, the church, and branches of him, the true vine, by outward show and visible profession only, others that are spiritually ingrafted into him and do bring forth much fruit. Now in this third verse, Christ tells his disciples which number they were of. Now, saith he, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. That is, now that Judas the traitor, that dead, rotten, fruitless branch, is cut off and cast out, ye are all clean through the cleansing power and virtue of my word and doctrine. Learn hence, one, that such as are justified by the blood and sanctified by the Spirit of Christ are in Christ's account clean, notwithstanding their many spots and manifold imperfections. Now ye are clean. Two, that as the blood of Christ is the meritorious, and the Spirit of Christ the efficacious, so the word of Christ is the instrumental cause of a believer's purification and cleansing. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. That is, abide in me not only as an outward and visible profession, but by a real and judicial adherence. And I will abide in you by the influences and operations of my Holy Spirit. The union and conjunction between Christ and his members is mutual. They abide in him by faith and dependence, and he abideth in them by the indwelling presence of his grace and spirit. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Observe farther the reason which Christ gives why they should thus abide in him, because without union with him, without interest in him, without influences of grace derived from him, they could bring forth no fruit for him, nor do anything that is truly acceptable and well-pleasing to him. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me, for without me you can do nothing. That is, as branches severed from the vine cannot live and bear fruit, so neither can Christians separated from Christ, and without deriving virtue from him, do anything spiritually good and well-pleasing in the sight of God. Learn hence, that not only unregenerate men do labor under an impotency to have that which is spiritually good, but even disciples themselves, without daily dependence on Christ and without constant communication of grace from him, can do nothing in a lively and acceptable way and manner unto him. Without me, you can do nothing. You that are the branches of me, the true vine. As Christians, without me, that is, without my spirit abiding in you, and uniting you to me, your head, you can do nothing acceptable to me or worthy of my gospel. Again, as apostles, it may denote that without the gifts and powerful assistance of the Holy Spirit, they can do nothing to convert the world to Christianity. In both respects, might Christ truly say, without me, ye can do nothing. Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, 
and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Burkitt notes, Here our Holy Lord discovers the sad and deplorable condition of such professors who, pretending relation to Christ, do yet bring forth no fruit unto him. He calls them withered branches, fit only for the fire. Learn hence that such as have had a long standing in God's vineyard and contented themselves with a withered profession are in great danger of having God's blasting added to their barrenness. All their parts and gifts and common graces will wither, and their fair blossoms of profession will drop off. And at the great day, the angels will gather the fruitless branches together and cast them into hell fire. Verse 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Burkett notes, observe here, one, a glorious privilege declared. Ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Not that we are hereby warranted to ask what we please at God's hand, but our will must be limited by the word and will of God. We must pray in faith and in the name and mediation of Jesus Christ, and with a single eye to the glory of God. Observe, too, the condition upon which this privilege is attainable. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. That is, practically and experimentally. If my doctrine and commands abide in your hearts and dispose you to a holy fruitfulness in your lives, then shall your just requests be granted. Learn that such as by faith embrace the promises and by obedience live up to the precepts of the gospel may in prayer humbly ask of God what they will, with a due submission to the wisdom and will of God. Verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Burkett notes, Our Lord here exhorts his followers to a holy fruitfulness in good works by a double argument, one drawn from the glory of God. Herein is my Father glorified, the other from their own advantage. So ye may be my disciples. That is, hereby ye shall evidence and prove yourselves to be my disciples. Learn hence that a Christian's abounding fruitfulness in good works will abundantly conduce to the honor and glory of God and also to his own peace and comfort by being the best evidence of his discipleship. Verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Burkett notes, Lord, what a comparison is here. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. He doth not say, As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved him, but so I have loved you. Nor doth he say, As God hath loved me, so have I loved you, but as the Father. That is, a word importing dearness of affection. Nor doth he say, The Father hath loved me, and I love you, but as the Father hath loved me so have I loved you. Nor does he say, as the Father hath loved me, so will I love you, but so have I loved you. This shows the priority of Christ's love, that he loved us first, and also denotes the invincible constancy of his love, and the indubitable certainty thereof. I have loved you. Follow me from heaven to earth, and from earth to heaven again, and you will find that every step I have taken hath been in love. Learn, one, that the Lord Jesus Christ hath given full and ample demonstration of his great and wonderful love 
unto his church and people. Two, that it is the duty and ought to be the singular care of every Christian to persevere the sweet sense and inward diffusions of Christ's love in their own souls. Ye continue in my love. Verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Burkett notes, Christ had told his disciples in the foregoing verse that he had loved them even as the Father had loved him, that is, with an eternal love, with a real and operative love, with an immutable and constant love. In this verse, he directs them how they may continue in their sense of his love, namely, by their constant obedience to his commands. And as his obedience to his Father's command had secured him a continuance in his Father's love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. That is, in the sense of my love and under the sweet apprehensions of it. Learn hence that as our obedience to Christ is the best evidence of our love to him, so is it the best means to preserve and keep us in the sense and assurance of his love to us. Verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Burkett notes, In these words, our Savior declares the ground and reason why he did so earnestly press and urge the duty of being universally fruitful upon his disciples. And that was twofold. One, that his joy might remain in them. That is, the joy which he had in their holiness and obedience might remain with him. Nothing is more desired by Christ than that he may have cause, continually, to rejoice in the faith and fruitfulness of his people. Two, that their joy in him might be full. This latter arises from the former. Our joy in Christ results from Christ's joy in us. His delight in us causes us abundantly to delight in him. Learn hence that nothing is more desired by Christ than that the joy of his people should be a full, solid, constant, and uninterrupted joy. Three, that the only way and mean in order thereunto is by a holy fruitfulness in good works. All these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy might be full. The observation of God's commandments does give a Christian here the fullest and most perfect joy. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Burkett notes, Our Lord had often, in this farewell sermon of his to his dear disciples, pressed upon them the duty of loving one another, chapter 13 and 14. And yet here he enforces it again from his own example. As I have loved you, so love you one another. That is, as truly and sincerely for the manner, though not the same portion and degree. Learn hence that for the disciples of Christ to love one another upon such grounds and in such a way as he loved them is that which his heart greatly desires and is very much set upon. Two, that Christ's love unto believers is both an obligation unto mutual love and also a pattern and example for it. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Burkett notes, Here our Savior gives his disciples an evidence of the greatness of his love unto them. 
namely, in his readiness to lay down his life for them, which is the highest expression of love to our dearest friends, because life is the greatest earthly blessing. Learn hence that Christ's love in laying down his life for his people was a matchless love, for whilst they were enemies to him, he had a friendly respect for them, and never ceased till he had brought them into a covenant of friendship with himself. Verse 14. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Burkett notes, Here Christ invited his people to obedience by the honorable title of friends. Ye are my friends. 1. Actively. You will declare and manifest yourselves to be my friends. 2. Passively. I will declare myself to be your friend. Learn hence, 1. How condescending is the love of Christ in calling his servants by the name of friends. 2. How glorious is the believer's relation to Christ in being one of his friends. 3. How grateful is obedience to Christ, seeing it dignifies the practicers of it with the title of his friends. 4. Our conformity to Christ consists not so much in imitation of what he did as in obedience to what he prescribed. Some actions of Christ are inimitatable, but all of his commands are obeyable. 5. That nothing short of a humble, uniform, cheerful, and constant obedience to the commands of Christ will evidence the truth of our relation to him and the sincerity of our friendship with him. Then only are you my friends, when you do whatsoever I command you. Verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Burkett notes, By these words, Christ declares the reason why he was pleased to change his style and call the disciples friends instead of servants, namely because of his communication of secrets to them, which servants are not admitted to the knowledge of. Henceforth, I call you not servants. That is, not mere servants, not that they were to be exempted from obedience, for that's what's called for in the foregoing verse. But Christ treated them now with the kindness and familiarity of friends. Being about to leave them, he unbosoms himself into them, saying, All things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Not as if Christ had communicated the infinite treasures of knowledge to them, which the Father had imparted to him, but he speaks here as the prophet of his church. That is, that as such he had revealed all things needful for them to know in order to salvation, all things belonging to their case and state. As a counselor doth not impart all his knowledge to his client, but all that is necessary for his client to understand and know that he makes known unto him, relating to his own case. Learn hence, one, that all Christ's disciples are his servants, and all his servants are his friends in regard to the intimate communion and tender usage. Henceforth, I call you not servants, but friends. And after his resurrection, he called them brethren. John twenty seventeen. The dignity of believers is a growing dignity. The longer they follow Christ, the higher privileges are indulged to them. Learn, too, that all the Father's counsel concerning our salvation, as so far as it was needful and necessary for us to know, is faithfully revealed by Christ to his church, he being constituted by God the Father to be the great prophet and instructor of it. All things I have heard of the Father 
I have made known unto you. That is, all things fit for them at present to know, namely, concerning his passion, resurrection, ascension, mission of the Holy Ghost, a future judgment, and the promise of eternal life. Verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of my Father in my name, he may give it you. Burkett notes, Here our Savior gives another instance and evidence of his love to his disciples. He tells them that his mercy and free goodness had prevented them in their election to eternal salvation and in their vocation unto the office of apostleship. Ye have not chosen me to be your master and Lord, but I have chosen you to be my disciples, friends, and servants. Two, he acquaints them with the end, design, and intention of his choosing them, namely that they should bring forth fruit and persevere therein, even in all the fruits of holiness and obedience which are to the praise and glory of God by Jesus Christ. I have ordained you that you should bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. 3. He directs them that in order to their being fruitful, they should have access to the Father through him for whatever they wanted and stood in need of. Whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it you. Learn hence that all those whom God hath chosen and called to the knowledge and service of Jesus Christ ought to make it their care and endeavor to bring forth fruit and to persevere therein to their lives' end. I have chosen you that ye should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain.